Hello, and welcome to Fighting Over the VCR, the podcast where we talk about movies that we grew up watching. My name is Matthew. My name is Nancy. And this week we are talking about a couple comedies that came out in the early, or one that came out in the early 80s and one that came out in the early 90s, both uh, with an actor that we really admire and uh, think is pretty great, uh, Bill Murray. We, again, are recording uh, remote via the internet. Again, continuing shelter in place. It's kind of a rainy night here, getting cozy, and going to chat it up about a couple movies. How you doing, Nance? I'm doing okay. I mean, wish we could be in person, but, you know, we're making do. Yeah. yeah I've, I've, I mean, I've, got, I've got a boozy drink right here, so that'll make recording fun. Mmm, the grog it is. Mm-hmm. And I've got Podcat here, so we know that we're no one. We know we're in for a party now. So, oh, yeah. did he watch and, the movies with you this time? Um, yeah, but he, as always, he kind of fell asleep. Oh, he, yeah. <laughs> if we're watch, if I'm watching the movie in bed, he's most likely on my lap, keeping me. You know, he's making sure I don't leave. He's making sure I'm focused on the movie. <laughs> So he's laying on me to keep me there so I can't move because podcast, he, he takes this just as seriously as you and I do. Mm. So <laughs> I'm going to talk about Groundhog Day a little bit later um, as my pick. And Nancy's going to get us started off talking about Tootsie. <laughs> <laughs> I have referenced Tootsie many times in our podcast. I couldn't even tell you how many different episodes I've brought it up. But Tootsie is this wonderful film that came out in 1982, starring Dustin Hoffman in two roles, that of Michael Dorsey and as Dorothy Michaels, um, Jessica Lange, Terry Garr, Dabney Coleman, who we've talked about at least two or three other times, Bill Murray, as Matt mentioned, uh, Charles Durning, Sidney Pollack, just so many great actors are in this movie. The premise of this is that Dustin Hoffman is a struggling actor in New York City who is a workaholic, who is an ultra, ultra perfectionist, who takes his craft very, very seriously. Like He's desperately serious about his craft, so much so he has been completely alienated by the industry. And he and his roommates with Bill Murray also his character's name is Jeff and um, they have another friend Terry Gar whose name is Sandy they're trying to put together their own play they need eight thousand dollars so that's the whole kind of push for this in this movie is how are they going to get eight thousand dollars to self-produce a play well Michael Dorsey needs some work he can't get work his buddy Sandy is auditioning for a soap opera which she doesn't get because she's not a tough enough lady and uh, after Michael Dorsey gets a little uh, truth bomb from his agent that no one will hire you anywhere in the United States. <laughs> you are not welcome in New York. You're not welcome in Hawaii. In Hawaii. Los Angeles. He may, be, he may be welcome in Hawaii. Who knows? But he's not welcome in Hollywood. He gets the inspired idea to um, take on the role of a lifetime playing uh, a woman so he can get cast as a woman. And um, lots of amazing things ensue from there. 
This movie is different in tone from Soap Dish, which we just talked about in the previous episode, in that it's not a farce. It's not spoofing the genre by any means. The most complicated kind of um, ridiculous thing in this movie is the fact that he's, you know, doing this undercover role kind of and tricking everybody. And But nobody else is acting crazy I guess like every you know all the people like the director is acting like a director like the actors all have their own kind of normal actor craziness but really like the only crazy crazy thing in this movie is the fact that he has taken on this other identity to secure a job and um I don't know and the folk and and unlike this movie I'm just gonna tell you how much I love this movie it makes me so happy it's probably one of my top five comedies of all time it just brings me so much joy. So I'm just going to start and, off with that. And I think the other thing that separates it from Soap Dish is Soap Dish had had some subplots kind of mm-hmm. going on and like other mm-hmm. things that you had to worry about because it was about the making of the soap opera. Yeah. Whereas this clearly just focuses on Dustin Hoffman's characters and how, you know, his his career as an actor and not as much as like, the soap opera itself, the soap opera yeah. plays. We actually really don't learn a whole lot about the soap opera other than it takes place in a hospital. Yes. Yes. So, and, I mean, and you learn like about the, the behind the scenes stuff in the, in the a little bit. making of the soap opera a little bit, but like, like how, how horrible Dabney Coleman is like, he, he is the director. He's gross, sexist, you know, misogynistic, all that kind of normal stuff we keep seeing, you know, through this industry you know uses women as horrible to women but well i think i think one thing that so i think the first time i ever saw this movie was probably on hbo or showtime one of the premium channels because we had those in the 80s yeah and um with my rewatch i have to say that i probably have not watched this movie in its entirety since the 80s Okay. It's been that long. There's a there's a few things that really kind of stood out, especially having not seen it in a long time. That's a little mm-hmm. different. I won't go into all those now, but one thing that I think is pretty that's really important to talk about um, Dustin Hoffman's character um, as Michael Dorsey is, besides being really into his career, which you have to be as an artist, especially in New York, yeah. you're competing with all these people. He was very focused. He he taught acting classes along with being an actor, um, which is pretty common, I think, amongst acting coaches. They're actors who are still working and they have yeah. to pay bills. So, But also, one thing I... There's a lot of things I never caught on to because I watched all this movie probably for the last time in its entirety before I was the age of 10. Yeah. So there's a lot of things I didn't catch on to. But one thing that I caught you, kept, you learned very early in this movie is that he's a womanizer. And he's, oh, he's always horrible to women and he's terrible to them. And yeah. when he does finally makes that decision to say, you know, and it's kind of from an egotistical standpoint is like, Oh, I could do this. And he, he, you know, he dresses up as Dorothy and then starts really duping a lot of people. He also, it also then like becomes less of a comedy and more of a commentary by him getting having to see things from the other side. Yeah. And and that's where the whole play with Dabney Coleman really kind of 
he becomes such an important character mm-hmm. um, to kind of emphasize the fact that now as Dorothy, he is, Michael is seeing how terrible he was treating women. And then he really kind of changes and stands and starts becoming an advocate for all the women on the set. Yeah. He becomes um, a feminist. Right. And in my research, I, I was, I saw a fact that this is something that really, it wasn't necessarily that Dustin Hoffman was like this in real life, but he, even, even as, even though he wasn't, you know, like Michael as bad as Michael in real life, it still was eye opening to him being, seeing how this was playing out and being on the other side. So that ends up being like a real kind of running theme through the movie is he's now, it's not about, it's not about putting a dress on. It's about somehow now being this other person and seeing the other side, the other side of the coin from what he was living before. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, you know, as we've discussed, you know, I've watched a lot of soap opera. So that angle of the movie of the movie always was interesting to me, but truly it's more seeing someone who's so passionate about what they want to do and then have to be really, really creative in how to get their foot in the door again because they've gotten such a bad reputation. And and yes, watching how much he grows. I mean, from the very beginning when he's first taking on this role and how he's having that conversation with um, Jeff, who I'm already going to predict Bill Murray's your favorite character, right? Absolutely. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, when they're talking, when he's talking about how he just can't believe how expensive it is to be a woman and just how much this costs and how all the upkeep and this and that. He goes, I don't know how these women don't starve trying to, you know, do everything and, and, how, be, and um, try to be actors like him, <laughs> you know, and, and, and Terry Gar's character mentions that when she goes into her audition, how she can't believe she spent twenty four dollars. 1982, $24, mind you, on yeah. a pair of glasses to see if she could fit the role. Um, you know, I mean, and poor Terry Gar's character. I mean, she's so wonderful. It's so funny because I was thinking about Mr. Mom a little bit when anytime she would come on screen and how he kept telling her, you need to get tougher. You need to be stronger. And I'm like, well, she figures that out by the time she becomes Caroline Butler. So that's... <laughs> um, yeah, Terry Gar, you know, she's kind of just, she is a meek, kind of weak character, but she's a good, very good contrast for um, Dustin Hoffman and, and to show just how easy it was for him to roll over on her. I mean, even the scene where he comes to dinner three hours late and she's apologizing to him and he's like, stop apologizing to me. I'm the one, I'm the asshole here. I'm three hours late. You should be yeah. furious with me. But because it's so ingrained in the way women are supposed to be in terms of male-female relationships, I mean, she bears that burden. And I don't know. I, I think the I think the kind of, like, relationship dynamics are very interesting in this movie. You know, the whole Dabney Coleman-Jessica Lang relationship is hard to watch in some ways because he's just so horrible to her. And it's nice to kind of see Michael as Dorothy Michaels watching that whole relationship play out, like in the studio, outside of the studio. 
and I don't know. I, I there's a lot of movies obviously that show like major character growth. Groundhog Day will also be a movie that includes that kind of concept. But I feel like Tootsie's is so interesting because again, like you said, someone who wasn't didn't want to watch this movie for a lot, with a lot of depth would just be like, oh, whatever. He's wearing a dress. Who cares? Like they they could be yeah. really dismissive of that element yeah. of it. But I feel like that piece of it is what makes the movie so important and what probably made it so interesting, especially in like 1982. Right. Um, so anyway, yeah, I think, I think for, go ahead. I, I just think I, I agree. I think that for some people, the popularity came to like this idea of, you know, putting on a dress is funny. So I will be, you know, that's part of the comedy aspect of it. I mean, um, this movie came out around the same time when um, a television show that we, that we watched growing up, uh, Bosom Buddies was out. Yes. Yes. You know, and which had this, <laughs> this similar, similar, yeah. not the same, but similar concept where um, they dressed in women's clothes in order to stay at an all women's apartment complex. Yeah. Um, starring Tom Hanks, who, you know, before he was Tom Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> And then, and, and, and it's kind of a device that has kind of happened in comedy. Like we love the kids in the hall and the kids in the hall, all male troop. And when they needed ladies, they wore dresses. Yep. And I think growing, and one thing that, that is interesting is, you know, for you and I to be watching this when we were kids, I think it, it didn't, it, it made it just made it seem normal. Like I've never seen, I've never like thought of um, cross-dressing as any kind of big deal, (laughs) you know, whereas for other, like an older generation, it was either for comic effect or, I mean, uh, what's the, what's the movie with uh, some like it hot, you know, the premise of that Mm. in some like it hot, you know, that kind of thing where is it Jack lemon and uh, uh, Tony Curtis, Tony Curtis, I believe it is. I've never seen Uh, it. Anyway, um, and they're they're wearing women's clothes and that, and I think that at that point it had it didn't have like a political twist as much as it or a, a social soci, sociology twist as it does. It was just for like comic relief, or wouldn't it be funny to put these men yeah. in dresses? I mean, yeah. this movie definitely takes you have to look beyond that, and that's yeah. where you get to the real meat of the movie. Yeah, couple thing, uh, some more stuff that. Uh, I have written down in my notes watching this. Obviously, it's a lot different watching it today versus in the 80s. Um, but we still have the same sexism and same problems in the workplace. You oh, know, yeah. it's a lot of that has not changed. Yes, Bill Murray is my favorite character, even though he is not, you know, he's a main, he's kind of, he's a main character in the sense that like the whole reason why that he takes this job is to help produce Jeff's, you know, put on Jeff's play. And, and he's roommates. one of only and he has, two. He's one of he's only one two of people that know, that know. He's doing this. I I just think he's so great in it. And apparent and in my research, I found out that a lot of his lines were improvised. And if you know Bill Murray's work, and then you watch this, you could be like, "Oh my god, that's such a Bill Murray thing to say." I think um, the cramps line had to be. Uh, I think there's a couple improvised. of them. There's a couple of them where I'm like, that had to be improvised. But I guess, and like that whole when when they're having his birthday party. Yeah. Um, 
and he's sitting in the kitchen, like having like this whole kind of like deep kind yeah. of discussion. I was like, yeah, this has to be him, like just going <laughs> off the cuff. He but, got um, to he got to do what he what I think he does the best is that really really dry, subtle, quiet kind of humor, right. you know, where he's where he's just really like really quietly delivering his lines and uh he he kills me in this movie he's so funny well and and another thing that i found interesting in my research was you know at this time he had put out um a couple he was starting you know he had left saturday night live and he started doing some some more movies and he had done uh meatballs which is a really fun great movie that we might talk about sometime and uh stripes which was another comedy that I will be mentioning later. Um, so when, because he had already had those movies coming out and he knew like his character wasn't you know, like a huge character, but he was top billing in those movies. Um, he actually asked to not be top billing in this movie. Hmm. Cause he didn't want to, cause he didn't want it to be lumped in with like the comedies that he had just done, which had a little hmm. bit more raunch affair. He, oh. he understood, he understood that, like what the story and what the content and what the subject was about. Mm-hmm. And he dis and he kind of wanted to distance his name from that, um, which I thought That's was cool. kind of interesting. Uh, I'll just jump to this, but my favorite scene in the movie is um, when Michael has just come home and Sandy just shows up at the, at the apartment and Jeff has to kind of play, like has to distract her while Michael is getting out of his Dorothy garb and back to Michael. And that scene is so great how he's like talking to her through the door and she's like banging on the door and they're coming up with these weird excuses and everything like that. And then eventually you know, he finally like cleans up everything. So there's no evidence of Dorothy, you know, of Dorothy puts on his, like makes it. So his, he's not wearing his pants anymore. So it's like he had just woken up from a nap and he goes to litter in and the door was open the whole time. She just didn't pull it the right way. (laughs) Well, and that, and that of course is after this like very intense, like, like one of Dorothy Michael's craziest evenings ever where she gets proposed to her, primary male co-star comes over and wants to be with her and almost rapes her. I mean, this, everything is happening. Oh, like, you would and not she believe almost, the day and as, and as Dorothy goes to kiss Jessica Lange's character, mistake, like, because he's so in the moment having this touching moment with her and then she freaks out and then she just just is like finally like, oh, now I understand you're a lesbian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just so wacky i mean which then brings me to my to my problem with this movie (laughs) go ahead this movie suffers and i i I may have mentioned this on a previous episode but this movie suffers from what i call the costanza effect also known as the seinfeld effect where someone does something bad keeps lying about it and builds and builds and it gets worse and worse and worse. And that ends up being like the whole plot line of how bad this can get. And it's become so hard to watch and just so annoying. And it's like, if you're just an honest person, this wouldn't freaking happen. The only difference in this movie versus 
all those Seinfeld episodes is in the Costanza effect, he almost always gets away with it somehow without getting getting known, but everything turns out okay. Whereas in in Tootsie, Michael ha- gets his comeuppance and then ends up having to have this big reveal. And Which is my he, favorite scene. I'm sure that's your favorite scene because... <laughs> Because it's so great, and and that that is that would probably be my second favorite scene is the oh. comeuppance situation. Well, it's not even the comeuppance. <laughs> it's his, how the hell? It's his escape clause. I mean, it's his. Oh yeah, how because the hell his character because he didn't want to continue for another year playing yeah. this part because he never he never expected Emily Kimberly to become this you know revered character but because he took it on the way he did and got to portray a female character that that show had never really had before right you know, the sh- super popular magazine covers you know yeah i think that um, i think that that's a point we didn't really make is that his character like he he gets on the show starts playing this character and ends up being the super popular character yes. to yes. the point where to the point where he does like a Cosmo photo shoot as Dorothy, yes. which is one of these scenes where I have a problem with. If he is working with a photographer and they're doing makeup and trying to do lighting and pose and everything like that, it is ridiculous that at that point no one went, doesn't any, anyone know that this is actually a guy? I mean, well, <laughs> I mean they, they, they do that in a quick kind of montage, so it's not montage. like there's any- not like there's any kind of conversations or and yeah this movie has a few montages um but i feel that um i i don't know i just i think this movie is just so fun i mean you know we get a very very young gina davis i think it's her first i think it's one it's if it's not her first role it's one of her first roles yeah so i I want to and you see a lot of gina davis yeah she's (laughs) she's quite almost naked in a lot of movies in just bras and panties for a lot of this movie. which which makes which makes it which adds to the comedy because dorothy and and her character share a dressing room so yes. it becomes completely uncomfortable for michael yes, exactly <laughs> which which again you know it's not like they had to do that but i mean why not you know right makes it more funny but you know Bill Murray certainly has some of the best, best lines. I mean, so many subtle little lines like on um, Dorothy Michael's first day going, going to work and how he wakes him up and he looks up and he goes, mom, mom, <laughs> mom. <laughs> and then, and then he's like, how do I look? How do I look? And he goes, well, okay. And then kind of like smushes her hair down, whatever. And then he kind of t- sits back a little bit and Dorothy Michael's like, what, what? He goes, don't play hard to get. You know, just, just so, just cracks me up. Like every little line is, and then even even the line when um, after the rape, almost rape scene with Doctor Brewster, um, you know, and he's like, "You wouldn't believe the day I had," and he's like, "You slut!" You know, just <laughs> I mean, it just makes me laugh. Oh, and then the whole um, you're doing this for the work, right? Not because you want right. to wear all the dresses, right? Like that's that's the reason, right? I mean, just just lots, lots of little lines like that made me laugh. And then, of course, the 
so again, something that Michael Dorsey never predicted in taking this amazing role of a lifetime, like he says, this greatest actor's challenge, um, becoming so involved with his co-stars, you know, right. him falling for Jessica Lange's character and then her um, bonding with him so much. And then even taking, taking Dorothy up to her family home where her dad falls in love with Dorothy Michaels. I mean, right. that whole thing. I mean, is I mean, I'm sure the eighties music was driving you crazy. The, <sighs> the KOIT. <sighs> it was so bad. Too. And then between Baby It's You and the whole Tootsie song, the song actually called Tootsie. Yeah. Roll, Tootsie, roll. What the hell? I mean, that's just so it's terrible. It's 1982. I mean. But like that same, that, I mean, it was very, it, it, it had a very, I mean, it was not, it was way better than, I mean, it wasn't as bad. No, that's not what I want to say. You're going to compare it to Romancing the Stone? It was worse than Romancing the Stone. That's what I wanted to say. It was worse than Romancing <laughs> the Stone. I mean, it, it, did, it, it did lack saxophone, but it wasn't just that. It was the same cheesy kind of like... Soft rock. So, it wasn't even rock. It was just terrible. But it was, it was the fact that they, it repeated over and over and over again whereas at least you got some variation depending on what the drama was in romancing the stone this was just the same thing over and over and over again and Moeller agrees with me right podcast you agree with me right oh, yeah God. he does well okay so 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 cheesy 80 music aside but i mean we i mean you can't get away from it sometimes i mean it's just gonna happen so you've already revealed that Bill Murray is your favorite character and that the scene after uh, when Sandy shows up unexpectedly with Bill Murray kind of scurrying about trying to help cover for Michael Dorsey, that's your favorite scene. My favorite scene is when he finally realizes I can get out of this because we have to do go live and I can just oh, let yeah. everybody know. I mean, I love that scene so much. I love how he starts stuttering over his words because he's trying to come up with a story don't 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 panic don't panic um i mean a part of me i was watching it tonight and i'm thinking how much of that backstory had he already worked out you know like knowing what kind of a perfectionist actor he was i mean had he thought a lot about what the real backstory was going to be or was he truly all on the spot. I mean, was he just, I mean, when he talked about like her getting a, some disfiguring disease and then when she was in Tangiers and just going on and on and on and on and on. And, um, to the moment when he says her brother and then mm. ripping off the wig. And, I'm at um, Kimberly. <laughs> I mean, I, I just die. I mean, I just think it's so great. And, and Dabney Coleman being like, I knew there was a reason she didn't like me. Like that's all that mattered to him. Not not that they'd all been conned, but just like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess that's the reason. And the poor producer, like the short redheaded lady, being like, I'll be damned. You know, just they're all fooled. So that's I think, my favorite um, character. And Dorothy. That's Michaels your favorite. Dorothy Michaels is my favorite character. Okay. I'm gonna okay. specifically say not necessarily. I mean, I love Michael Dorothy too, but. Dorothy Michaels. I mean, I love her so much. I love her accent. I, 
I will walk around the house and do a Dr. Brewster accent around the house just because it cracks me up and we just laugh about it. I mean, it's just, it's so funny. It's very One. Kira, it's very Kira Sedgwick in The Closer. It's mm-hmm. very similar to that. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to really believe Kira Sedgwick stole her voice for The Closer because of watching Tootsie. Well, um, in my research, Dustin, apparently Dustin Hoffman um, wasn't going to have an accent, but he was. It was he was able to do the woman's voice a lot better if it had kind of a southern accent. Sure. So I can so, see that. So well, it, they just kind of wrote deep, that in. He's got a fairly deep voice, so yeah, it would. I can see him trying to do like a higher register, wanting it. It just sounding squeaky. If he um, didn't add some kind of accent right. to it, so now and but. and then one one last thing, and I'm surprised you have not brought that, this that up. That it's Punky Brewster's foster dad. Yes, Doctor yes. Brewster. Yes, yes, yes. Matt. George George Gaines, John Van Horn, the terrible yeah. old man actor who kisses everybody, so they call him the tongue, is Punky Brewster's adoptive father. Does Jeff know. <laughs> <laughs> Being does Jeff know is maybe my favorite line after that whole reveal of everything. Like him, like pausing. Jeff know <laughs> as if that as if like duh. Of course, Jeff knows you dumb dumb. But oh mm-hmm. no, yes, Matt, Doctor Brewster, and him and his wanting to kiss everybody. And I love that early in the movie, early on. Um, Dorothy Michaels' experience on the show when she found out she'd have a scene with him and how he wants to kiss everybody. Everything she did to maneuver around having to kiss him. And well, and that became that-, that became a staple of her of working with her on set was she, you know, he was the actor who needed the teleprompter and had to say everything word for word because he was so bad. Yeah. And she became the actor who went off the cuff half the time partially to save her own ass, but um, just because of his personality, Michael's personality of being like, no one would do this. No one would, no dying person would stand up and walk to the middle of the stage to give a speech right before they died. They're dying. You know, it's a tomato. It can't stand up. It's illogical. Why would a tomato stand up or sit down? Come on. (laughs) I want you to respect me for my mind and not my lips. (laughs) Yeah, Dorothy Michaels is phenomenal. I mean, when Julie tells Michael Dorsey at the very in the very last scene how much she misses Dorothy, I'm like, I get it, girl. I would be so sad and lonely missing her too because she was so great. Mm -hmm. She's so wonderful. So Dorothy Michaels, my favorite character. But I think there were things about. so this movie came out in 82 and Dustin Hoffman, I think started acting like in 67, maybe I think is when the graduate came out. So he'd been in the, he'd been in the business for a good 15 years. And I think by the time this movie was being cast, I think in real life, he maybe already had a little bit of a reputation of being a little challenging to work with. So I think he may have been able to draw from some of his own personal experience being somewhat combative because he churned out the movies in the seventies. He was in so many films in the seventies. Yeah. Um, 
hopefully we'll get to talk about some of his other movies. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, this movie, I mean, can you understand why I love this movie so much? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it has a lot of elements that you gravitate towards and, and it has a lot of things that I think just because of the fact that we grew up watching it, you kind of have this kind of loyalty to it, which, yeah, um, I have an affinity, which, a natural affinity, you have an to affinity to it. So it doesn't surprise me at all. It has the soap opera part of it, which again, is not a huge, it even really isn't that big of a part of the, mm-hmm. of the movie. It just happens to be the job he has. Yeah. Um, We've got Daddy Coleman, who we watched a lot. Kids and 80s villain du jour. (laughs) That's that's kind of yeah. He is occupying that role in this movie for sure. Yeah. Um, Not as bad as not as bad as nine to five. I mean, nine to five. He was clearly the enemy. (laughs) And he was a full monster in that movie that needed to just be kind of eliminated. In this movie, he was just super egotistical i mean remember i don't know if you remember this line but after um after dorothy michaels first comes on set for the very first time and dabney coleman you know gives her an up and down of like "Mm, yeah you're not gonna work and she's like um excuse me yeah i didn't even get to read you're not even giving me a chance so she's now getting to experience just how cruel the casting system is for women. You know, it's just so subjective, just based on a look. And then when he gives her a few notes and talks about how she needs to be tougher and this and that, and she walks out and then the uh, redheaded, I'm going to say she's like the main producer. Like she's the executive producer of the show. She comes out and is like, okay, well, was that an audition or is that for real? She's like, well, what's going to get me the part or what's going to get me a chance to read. And as they walk back in, she made it, we don't see this on screen, but she had told the producer, you know, he's such a great director. He gave me such clear notes. And mm-hmm. the executive producer was able to butter up the director and say, oh, she just I, told me all this stuff. I don't know if she actually said that. I think I the don't producer care if she did just, or not. I think the producer just liked her enough to just say that so the guy, so he would give her the, give her the, the reading. I'll give, I'll give Michael I, I think enough credit she, to know, though, that that wouldn't have been that wouldn't I would give Michael Dorsey credit to, to know he'd have to say something. He could saying something like that would curry some favor. Yeah, well, maybe, I'm, I'm just going to put it. I'm just going to put it out there that besides besides probably Dustin Hoffman, the redheaded producer is probably my second favorite character. <laughs> she's amazing. <laughs> she, she was really good. So, she's so great. No, yeah. I. This this movie is jam packed with excellent characters. I mean, you know, even poor like Charles Durning playing Jessica Lange's dad. I mean, oh, how how embarrassed he must have been. I mean, he just to get so to get so Swept unfortunately conned. <laughs> what? Swept off his feet. Swept off his feet, you know? And like he's like, I'm a simple guy. I've had two pictures taken of me, and my wife was next to me, and both of them. It's like, oh, my God. And you're like, why is it the train is just out of the station? It's such a mess. And, but It's off the rails at that point. It's off the rails, but, you know, I like he says at the end, I was a better woman with you as a like being a friend to you than I ever was as a man with another woman and 
we just got to figure out for me to wear pants now. And wearing dresses is what makes it confusing. Yeah. I, I always kind of, when it was over and she, you know, you see the end scene where the two of them are walking down the street. I kind of wonder how much time passed from his reveal on the, during the show to when she, he finally gets to talk to her. Like the, in, in, I'm going to say three in movie months. time. Yeah, because in movie time, it seems like it happened the same week, but it was probably months down the road. Because he'd already done the show. They'd already they'd already done the they'd already done the play, the Love Canal play up in Syracuse. And the co-star that was doing Iceman Cummins had already finished his whole Broadway stint. So I'm going to say it was probably about two or three months, probably about three months. And and I think and, and he mentions, too that at the end it seems like because of how this all turned out and people figuring out like it was him that did it like it actually helped his own career so yeah there you go anyways well again love this movie i i i I have watched it several times jack and i watched it probably within the last six months it's a movie jack also really loves he he and i watch it together and we both really enjoy it we laugh a lot about it. And he, and um, he, I think he likes Seinfeld and Costanza. So it makes sense that he enjoys a movie with the Costanza effect. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but the movie you're going to talk about, I realized today, I had maybe only seen one other time. Really? Which, watching it today, kind of shocked me. Because I love Groundhog Day. That movie is so great. Well, it is. Uh, so that's why we're going to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> that's why we're going to talk about it. So my movie pick for this episode is Groundhog Day, starring Bill Murray. And I think it's kind of... Um, fitting uh, for right now? Fitting for right now. I think a lot of people who are staying at home all day um, kind of feel like they don't even know what day it is. And that... Yeah that uh, sheltering in place does have kind of an effect on them. So why not watch a movie where Bill Murray relives the same day over and over and over again, which is the most basic premise of this movie, Groundhog Day. Yeah. Um, It came out in 1993 and Mm -hmm. was directed by Harold Ramis, who in a movie I mentioned earlier, Stripes, also, he co-starred with Bill Murray, where they were having a hard time getting their careers going and joined the Army. But then the two of them also hooked up for a couple movies that made a, you know, a little bit of noise on the, on the, in the box office called Ghostbusters. So, Which Matt um, and I saw in the theater. Yes, we did. And uh, Ghostbusters, um, if you aren't sure which one Harold Ramis was, he played Egon. In Ghostbusters, <laughs> so Harold Ramis um, wrote worked on the screenplay for this, and um, he directed it. Brings on Bill Murray, who was not his first choice. Apparently, his first choice. Apparently, at the time. Now remember, this is 1993, and someone's career was really taking off at this point. Named Tom Hanks, who was originally his first choice, but Tom he Hanks said would not Tom, have been right. You know why? Because, and this is why he didn't cast him. Tom Hanks is too nice. He is too nice. <laughs> which Bill Murray which, is is 
perfectly grouchy in this movie. So they go on to make this movie about which um, Bill Murray plays Phil, who is a weatherman in Pittsburgh. And every for the last four years, he has gone to Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, to see the groundhog, also named Phil, and whether he sees his shadow or not. And he hates going to this town. He's got a huge ego. Mm-hmm. He, 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 according to himself, is the talent. And um, he has this very interesting phenomenon happen to him where he starts reliving the same day over and over and over again. And at first, he's kind of like, what the hell is going on? He's in... De- and and in my he, research, he goes this, through multiple he, stages. Well, I, in my research, he goes through the five stages, stages of, of grief. law of grief. Yeah. You know, at first, and and I don't know them all off the top of my head, but you watch it, and you're like, oh my god, here it goes. It's I, denial is first, and he definitely denies it at first. It's denial, anger, bargaining sad like depression and then ultimately acceptance okay in case in case you're curious no 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 that's great and he and he you kind of watch him go through this because at first he's like what is going on why is everything happening again they keep i keep waking up every morning at six o'clock and and i got you babe is playing on the radio (laughs) every morning and he runs into the same people and he's like what is going on and yeah, he feels crazy. Everyone, and everyone's just and all the same stuff keeps happening. And after about and I think it's on the third day, at least it's the third day that we see this happening, he realizes, wait a minute, I can do whatever I want. If I'm yeah. just going to relive the same day again, I could there I have no consequences. Yeah. It frees him up for sure. And so he kind of starts going through this process of doing whatever he wants, where he's like robbing a bank and whatever. And every day (laughs) he just wakes up and he's totally fine. And, but one thing that is always kind of grounding him, that he is always in the back of his head and is on the trip is a new producer for, for his show, you know, for his news played, um, by Andy McDowell. The and, lovely um, Rita. Her lovely Rita. He starts having feelings for her. And at you know, in different stages of him going through this process of reliving the same day over and over again, you know, he has different he starts thinking like, well wait a minute, I could use this to my advantage. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, Mulder. I could start learning about her and see what I can do to hook up with her. And then, you know, I can, you know, and every day that I fail, I could just, I'll just have another chance. I mean, I'm in some sort of weird, terrible time warp or something. I don't know what's going on. So he continues, he goes along this path of finding out everything about her, you know, and then the next, and it's great the way they cut it, you know. He will at one point finally get her to have a drink with him and he tries to guess what her favorite drink is and he's wrong. And then he knows the next time this is what her favorite drink is and stuff like that. Eventually this kind of goes on to where 
he really starts becoming a better person. And I think that one of the interesting things that makes me really like this movie, and this is um, dad's one of dad's favorite movies too, that, and I think that this is one of the things that really, he really likes about it is this, this concept of, if I could do it over, would I do it differently? And how, as long as I still have the knowledge of what I just did, you know? And it's, it's not wasting time. It's, and he's not really wasting time. He's using it to better himself and trying all these different avenues. And after his first, you know, attempts at trying to woo Rita, he just kind of gives up and he gets really depressed and then he goes into this phase where he is just finding new ways to kill himself. Well, because he's he's in the depression phase. Because he's in the depression phase, exactly. Eventually, when he finally gets to the point where he's accepting it, he real he just starts trying to do good the whole time. Yeah. And he eventually has one day where he does all the things right, and he finally impresses. Rita enough to where she sees how good he, you know, the good person that he really is, even though it's taken time for him to change. And by the end of the movie, he wakes up and she's next to him and it's the next day. And it's just this great, you know, movie about, you know, watching someone as you, as we talked about from Tootsie, where at the beginning of the movie, a character is one way and watching them grow and change mm-hmm. over the course of the film. Um, but it's also really funny and just the things that happen to him on a daily basis and like watching, watching, you know, at the beginning of the movie where he's like high strung and angry and grumpy and oh, watching the things like ouch. get that irritate him and having him like repeatedly step in the water in in the puddle (laughs) and in in the pothole or having to run into these people that annoy the crap out of him constantly and to the point where he realizes he can fuck with them (laughs) and and not care and just and everything. It's, it's just a fun, crazy, just kind of interesting concept of a movie that, you know, didn't really get a lot of praise from the box office numbers, but over time has has had this growing affection for to where they even made a Super Bowl parody this year of it because the Super Bowl was on Groundhog Day this year. So there oh. was a Jeep commercial that they made that reenacted scenes with the in the same city where they filmed it and with the same with Bill Murray and some of the other actors. Oh, um, wow. So um, the first time I saw this movie, I did not see it in the theater. Um, I saw it on TV and I was like, man, this movie, I was not really, I did not know about this movie when it came out. But then, um, now that I had seen it on TV, I was really, I really liked it. I eventually bought it. I owned it. I'd watch it every, you know, once a year when it was on TV and stuff. No, it's funny. It, it talks about Groundhog Day. It takes place on Groundhog Day, but is it about Groundhog Day? I don't, I don't really think so. It's just. I don't well, know. other than the idea of Groundhog Day, is that this this like very arbitrary predictor is going to say, "Are you going right. to have six extra weeks of winter?" Of or winter, not? And, yeah. And and in the north, in the northeast, I think winter starts to feel very monotonous. Like, oh my god, like you know, you hear about snowpocalypses and stuff. It's like, holy right. shit, when are we going to finally get spring? 
because right. this is, we're tired of the winter. Yes. Um, but now, um, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, you know, I've got a whole bunch of different little notes about this movie that I want to mention, but, um, including that his brother plays the mayor and he was also, yes, his older vacation, his his older brother, um, Brian Doyle Murray, um, plays Buster the mayor. And, um, at one point in one of the, in the final day in his, in his day where he finally, um, does everything good. He actually saves his life from, he's Mm. choking and he, and he saves him. That was one of the actors I was going to mention. Um, Harold Ramis has a cameo as mm-hmm. a neurologist who's examining his brain, um, <laughs> you know, trying to figure out what's going on. Stephen Tobolowski. Yes, yeah, Stephen Tobolowski, who played, who made appearances in a number of things over the years. But uh, the other, the other actor that I was going to mention is um, Chris Elliott. Chris oh, Elliott. This is the only movie I like him in. This is the only thing he's ever made that I think I like him in. He's, that he's even even though that, that he's kind. There's a couple. There's one part of the movie where he is really kind of like out there. Uh, this is the only thing I really tolerate him in. Um, but you know, it's got kind of a, you know, not a ton of really known names in it. But Bill Murray Except Michael is Shannon. in every. Michael well, Shannon. You is, ruined is it. You ruined Greg. what I was going to say. You ruined what I was going to say. You can't just you let me Matt, have if that. At, if we wake up at 6 a.m. tomorrow, maybe this will repeat and you'll get to say it before I do. Well, no, I you, was very you, excited that I was able to figure it out. I was like, I know that voice. I know that goofball. That's my. Yeah. Voice. Yeah. Michael, it, this was Michael Shannon's first role. And he has a very small part where he is getting married and Phil gives him and his bride WrestleMania tickets <laughs> and they are very excited. Um, I can't believe you ruined that for me. Sorry, Matt. Um, so but, um, that was something I thought about when we were, when I was watching this today that you're not going to be happy about. Which is, I think, I think this movie can partially be categorized as romantic comedy in a little bit. No, I, I, I would say, say that only because it is love that eventually gets him out of the loop. Um, yeah, but, um, and, and it's, he's not, so, it's not entirely a romantic comedy, but it, the, the room, the romance is very important to the story because without right. that, I don't think he would have ever been able to grow. And, I will also argue that um, it's not that he was necessarily just becoming a better person. Like in Tootsie, where Michael Dorsey was able to get this insider information into Julie because he was being, he was presenting himself as someone that she wouldn't, she was able to be more vulnerable to. Phil Connors was conning everybody. Because he was getting all the information he needed and got to repeat the very next day. So he was manipulating everybody. Yeah. Everything. And, and, and you was, know what's really and, weird? And he was initially yeah. just trying to become who Rita will love. Not because he was authentically becoming a person no, she was going to exactly. love. He wanted to find out specifically what does she want in a man. Right. 
and right. I will pretend enough to be that person right. and then she'll be into me. Although right. he tries many, many, many times and gets slapped in the face. I don't know, that montage of him getting slapped, what, 20 times or something? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was so great. It's like he just kept messing up until the one day, the last day, when he finally realizes, I'm just going to do my amazing report on Groundhog Day, and then I'm going to leave because I've got all these things I need to do. And he was just going to show who he had transformed in, into, and she just fell for him at that point. But yeah. he he definitely was manipulating it, and... This movie has made me want to watch, I've never seen it, his version of Scrooge. Oh, you've never seen it? But I feel like like I'd probably like it a lot because I don't know if I've necessarily seen him be this intensely grouchy in anything. I mean, I've seen Lost in Translation where he's pretty down in that movie and Rushmore, which we'll eventually talk about where he's a complicated character. But this specific, but this very specific, angry, disgruntled employee kind of egotistical. I'm a I'm superior to everybody. He's usually more laid back. You know what I mean? Like like in in even in Ghostbusters. I mean in Ghostbusters he plays a bit of a superiority thing because he's oh but he's definitely. In, but in meatballs and stripes, in a lot of things, he's got that very kind of calm, dry kind of kind of. He's he's not he's, over the top, but you he's, know he's an asshole for a good portion of this movie, and yeah. it's it's amazing that he's able to transform himself so much so that when they're doing the um, the auction, <laughs> the the charity auction towards the end, and she decides to bid everything she has in her um, checking account to make sure that she can have him for himself. You know, he, he's fully changed at that point. And how many times did he repeat it? I mean, I'm going to argue he repeated that day, maybe like a hundred times. Oh, actually, actually um, on the, uh, on the DVD commentary, Harold Ramis says he was stuck in that loop for 10 years. No way. Yeah, yeah. He thinks he he kind of he says he he was stuck in that loop for ten years. Now, which brings me brings me to an interesting. It does seem weird, but at the same time, if you think about all the stuff that he learned and all the things that he did, he would have needed a lot of time to to perfect ice sculpting or to be able to play piano the way he did in that movie. (laughs) Which which brings me to a question that I wanted to ask you. Um, if you were stuck in an endless, ageless, because that's the other thing, is he doesn't age or gain yeah. weight or anything. Nothing happens to him physically. If you were stuck in an endless, ageless time loop, what would you like to learn in that time? I have no idea. I mean, I think, I don't know. I mean, I think that's what we're all kind of dealing with right now with this quarantine shelter in place business. I mean, if you were forced to stay at home, what things would you try to learn? I mean, I'm playing more games on my iPad than I thought I ever would. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think that, you know, we're, I mean, now granted it's not ageless and we could get sick, but you know, the fact that it's different and, 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 you know, and, and, you know, just, it's not like everyone is on vacation. You know, people are no. having to work or do things that, 
but and there's stress and everything like that. But if you didn't have the stress and you could pick anything that, that you, that you feel like you are, that you, you know, obviously I'm not expecting you to say, I want to become an Olympic gymnast, but you know, if there's just something that you've always wanted to do, yeah, anything. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he, I think one of the things that's interesting is like the whole playing piano that he did, you know, and, and cause at one point she had learned how to, how to, she had, he had learned from Rita that she would want to be with a man who could play an instrument. Yeah. And, and so he finds a piano teacher and then he starts playing the piano and then just keeps reliving the same day over and over again, where he goes to the same piano teacher and she's, getting more and more shocked at how good he is, even though he keeps saying it's his first lesson. Um, I just think, I think something like that being, and I think that's an interesting question for people to think about. Like if you had endless and ageless time to learn something, what would you learn? Because the, and the reason I say that is because obviously, you know, that's not reality. You know, we, you know, the minute you're born, you're dying. Right. So, um, (laughs) wow (laughs) you know half um, empty mat i'm just saying um the uh the idea that if you it makes you think about like wow maybe if time is short maybe i should go for something and learn something and i think it's just i'm not maybe you don't need to answer the question now but it's something to think about. And no, it made I've me, seen, and, and, and it's something I thought of... about. It's something I had thought about, like while watching yeah. this, like, like, man, he learned how to, he learned how to ice sculpt. He learned how to play the piano and he learned well, French he poetry. To, he, he did all these things for alternative purposes. He had to do stuff that was available within that town setting. You know, True. he wasn't going to learn how to water ski because it's in the middle of winter in a landlocked area. So like, well, so and he, he also didn't have the internet. His... He didn't have the internet and YouTube yeah. to where he could basically learn almost anything. Right. So, um, I, I, I will, I wanted to ask you, did you recognize the song that he kept learning from another movie that we both love? And or yes, I don't know it's from, it's from somewhere in time. The main yes. love scene from Is it Tchaikovsky. Could- I think I can't remember who does it. No, it's not Romanov. But anyway, yes. Beautiful, beautiful love song for Christopher Reeves and um, Jane Seymour. Now, now Bill Murray, when filming this, could not play piano. So he's not actually playing piano, except Uh. in that one scene in that first um, lesson where he got, where he's with the teacher, where he's kind of sloppily playing it a little bit. He taught himself how to play that by ear. He can't mm. read music or anything. So he taught himself how to play that part, but the other, the rest of the movie, he is not playing the piano. Um, another funny thing that I wanted to mention, um, that in my notes that I thought was really kind of interesting. Um, there's a scene when he's, going through the stages and he's realizing that he has no consequences and he's kind of done a couple crazy things where he's sitting in the diner and with Rita and he, the whole table is full of pastries <laughs> and he's just shoving them in his mouth and just eating them like crazy. <laughs> hold on, hold on. 
I'm just thinking about how he shoved an entire piece of cake in his mouth without even chewing anything. I just died. I thought that was so great. He really did that. That's awesome. All of that, he actually ate all engorged himself and after all the takes he felt he felt terrible but he actually did that which i found hilarious i thought it was so great um i'm just gonna jump in and say rita's my favorite character i mean he's he's oh. amazing i love phil yeah. connor's and he really occupies i mean he's almost in every single scene of the entire movie like if it's if bill murray yeah. wasn't phil connor's the movie wouldn't work it would not be a movie with the Tom Hanks could not have carried this movie, not in the same way. And he was busy making Philadelphia because these movies both came out in 93. So he had a very different role he had to fill. Although yeah. Philadelphia versus Pittsburgh, they were both in Pennsylvania filming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I would agree. I'm going to agree. Rita. Rita's also she's so my... wonderful. Yeah. And she's, she's what motivates him to become a better person. And yeah, he, and she's great. He's, he's taken by her from the moment he sees her in the studio. He yeah. sees her kind of playing around with the blue screen. And can we first can we say the minute this movie opens and he's doing his his weather forecast, I'm dying. Like I was cracking up from the moment the movie started because he's so comical. And he's like, we got some big spikes coming this way. Just, <laughs> yeah. He, he, he's big so, trees over there in the Northwest. Big trees still. in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> uh, I just, I found him, I just thought everything he did was so funny. But I feel like the other larger topic of, e- even though people don't really relive Groundhog Day every day, there's plenty of monotony in people's lives. You know, there's plenty of days that feel like you're, you're kind of going through the same motions day in and day out without a ton of differentiation and it can feel exhausting and mind numbing. I mean, it's just, what are you laughing at? Nothing, nothing. No, I'm totally agreeing with you. I mean, no, I, I I mean, mean, how many, how many times, how many times do you drive to work? And then, like, almost blank out, like, how did I get here already? Because you've driven the same route every day. Yeah, I mean, he's just grouchy and feeling stagnant because he hasn't tried to push himself to do anything different. Like, he's just got this enormous ego. He lashes out at everybody. He's grouchy to everybody. And that was his journey was he had Mm -hmm. to, like, learn to embrace being in the moment knowing that no one around him is going to remember anything about what he experienced that day, but can it make him a better person? Um, no, I, I think the movie's excellent. I mean, I Rita is amazing. She's again, she's, she is so great. I mean, her and her total like early nineties outfits with like that goofy vest that yeah. she's wearing yes, and that vest. sweater. And, you know, she, she's just hilarious. And, He's, what's your he's fa- wonderful. What's, what's your favorite scene? Because um, I have I, a lot, I, and, I, and I'm just going to throw one out there. Go ahead. Right now, as we're speaking, the one I want to mention is I love the scene where he's sitting on the park bench, and it's this is kind of early on in his in his circumstance, and he's just like a gust of wind. Yeah. Car goes by, smoke alarm, get up, 
one, two, three, car, and then he robs yeah. the, the and then he yeah. robs the the armored truck. And he just is yeah. like, I've lived this moment so many times that I could just pinpoint every second to where I can perfectly do this. And that scene I think is very pivotal pivotal to show how over the time that he is stuck in this loop, how perfect he can or he can you know con everything and, and manipulate everything i think my favorite scene is when he's t- when he tells her when he when he think when he walks her through the restaurant and tells her tells her everything he knows about every single patron in the restaurant yeah that's pretty cool. proving to her look i'm either god or i'm a god of some kind i do not know what the problem is but i do know every and how he writes on the note word for word what chris elliott's character is going to say right. so it kind of gains a little bit of her trust to follow along and the day didn't end the way he wanted it to because he woke up and had to repeat the next day yet again without but I think her that was the, mm-hmm. i think that was the second to the last time that happened because i think uh, the next, maybe not i i've lost maybe, track again. Uh, it, yeah so much stuff that it repeats so much but um she's my favorite character and i think yeah i think that scene i mean the scene where, like the 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 section where he starts trying to kill himself, yes, is just so incredible because you're just he's so just deeply depressed. Oh yeah, cannot when he, snap the cycle and get out well, of it and just die. When he and, wakes up in the morning, walks downstairs, grabs the toaster, and then just electrocutes himself. And then when he's after he's gone through a series of suicides, when you just see the gigantic six o'clock changing on the clock, like yeah. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. When you see that I mean, talk there's some really great directing in this to really kind of tell yeah. the story. And and can you just and just imagine like how do you film I mean, you basically have to like do the setup for the same scene and then do the same scene over and over and over again for all the repeated days. I mean, how many times did Ned Ryerson have to do the Phil, Phil Connors, Ned Ryerson and like do that whole thing over and over again where he's wearing the same outfit and everything? It's not like they film, you don't film things sequentially. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's pretty crazy. Another scene I like is when Phil totally snaps and kidnaps the groundhog and like <laughs> drives away and goes to like the tar pit or wherever it was, like the um and, oh and that that's the gravel one of the pit, first time. Then, yeah, the- and then like drives off the edge and Chris Elliott's like, Oh, maybe he's okay, and then the car explodes. Blows. And you know, this this came out after Thelma and Louise. So this is two years after you already see a very dramatic driving off of an edge. Yeah. But then you see the car crashing. <laughs> okay, maybe he's not okay. Right. But then I think that's the first time we see that he survives even death. Right. And I think Which, that after that is when he realizes how depressed he is. Like, he can't even die and get out of the loop. So mm-hmm. he just goes down this rabbit hole of committing suicide. Yeah. It's yeah. um. So that's it's probably the darkest great, great moment. Mm-hmm. And, and in my research, I guess... When they were originally writing it, they it even had some other darker moments, but they realized pretty quickly, like we if we want to make this a comedy and keep it kind of light, like he could have easily been torturing himself and 
and doing all kinds of things to try and break the loop and gone like a real kind of like horror movie kind of angle, but he doesn't, yeah. which is good. Yeah. I have one last note that I'm going to point out and there's no way that you know this or could have possibly look this up online in the scene where he's kind of depressed and he's watching jeopardy with all the people at the bed and breakfast. And he knows he's watched that episode of jeopardy over and over again. So he knows all the answers and he's and it's like running, he's running the, the, the category and everything. Um, it's during like, I guess like a tournament of champions, I think. And Leslie, one of the contestants, the contestant that's on the far left wearing glasses was my Spanish teacher in college. <laughs> that's yes. wild. I took a quarter of Spanish and I re- <laughs> she was on Jeopardy. I remembered what she it looked like. It has a cameo in Groundhog Day. <laughs> and she even mentioned it when I had her as a, as a professor in college. She even mentioned that she even has a small part in the movie Groundhog Day. I had totally forgotten all about that. And then when on my rewatch, when I saw her, I was like, oh my God, I can't, I forgot she was my professor in college. That's amazing. Small freaking world, right? I, I am, I, at that point, I am now two degrees to Alex Trebek. (laughs) do you know when 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 i heard when when they were reading all the when alex trebek was reading all the jeopardy questions for a split second i thought that sounded so much like stephen colbert i don't know if younger alex trebek and stephen colbert kind of sound similar but i was like no 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 this is not stephen colbert this is alex trebek but that is so funny matt that you have that incredible coincidence and connection to this movie yeah so I could also like this movie because some random person I knew for a two and a half month time in college. <laughs> I still can't believe it's 10 years. 10 years. Can you imagine? Well, can you imagine? Like now, now knowing what you're going through right now, imagine this going on for 10 oh, years. <laughs> 10 years. Again, you would age, you know, thing, things would change in yeah. your life still, you know, but. Yeah. yeah, crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The circumstances aren't the same, but yeah. So that means like three three thousand six hundred and fifty something times he right. relived those that day. That's yeah. a lot of groundhog days. I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode. Um, we had a lot of fun reliving these movies again yeah. and again and again. Um, <laughs> I hope that everyone can is getting out of the loop a little bit getting outside and kind of shaking things up a little bit. Um, yeah. That Nancy, just so you know, today is Saturday. Ah, Saturday. Okay. <laughs> okay. I've lost track. This was, these are two good movies that I enjoyed rewatching. Oh yeah. I highly recommend them both. I think they should bring a smile to anyone's face. All right. Well, my name is Matthew. My name is Nancy. And this is fighting over the VCR. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you. Thank you.